This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like any sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lay some up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 94 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. And guys, we are two games into the quarterfinal matchup between the Bruins and Hurricanes, and the Bruins find themselves in a two-games-to-none hole. And there's been a whole lot of bad and, quite frankly, zero good um, that the Bruins have done in these two games and there's something about the Carolina Hurricanes that bring out the absolute worst in the Boston Bruins and expose every single one of their weaknesses, guys. Yeah, it's what really concerns me is that game two looked so much like game one. It like we heard after game one that okay, the Bruins needed to, you know, clean up the front of the net and not allow as many tips, deflections, screens. We heard that the Bruins needed to get to the net more and get more of those opportunities themselves. Uh, Bruce Cassidy talked about the importance of getting out to a lead, forcing the Carolina to play from behind at some point. Um, you know, response after the first goal. And everything went basically the same way in game two. Like, Sebastian Ajo scores on a deflection in the in the slot. Bruins, for most of the game, I'd don't think we're getting to the net enough. Like the Carolina's goalie starting goalie, Antti Ranta goes down in the first period on a collision with David Pasenak that, you know, we're bringing to dive into more here as we go. Um, 22 year old rookie Piotr Kachikov comes in, you know, zero NHL playoff experience. And they put three shots on goal on him in the first 10 minutes. He's in the game. Good job letting him settle into the game. Like, Um, and then, you know, can't get the lead, give up the first goal. And once again, for the second game in a row, give up the second goal, you know, two minutes, whatever, two twenty later. And it's like, it it looks so similar too, where Carolina gets that first goal and then just keeps pouring it on. It's like the Bruins are stunned and like, they don't know how to respond after going down. And next thing you know, it's two nothing. And like, now it's, 
Carolina is so hard of a team to come back on that like even though that even though this time it was two nothing in the first period rather than you know the second period like it was in game one, it still felt just about impossible and and you know basically turned out that it that it was. They eventually get down three nothing, get it to three one, then you know that's four one. They can get to four two, but it's they're digging themselves way too big of a hole because they just don't. They're not, you know, they're not doing enough to create great chances early on. They're not taking both games. They've come out and like played well the first few shifts, but they're not doing enough to to actually get on the board and get out to that lead that they say that they know is so important. And then when they get down, it's like it takes them way too long to figure out how to how to respond the right way and start actually showing some desperation. It became impossible for them to come back because of all the penalties and, and all of the, you know, some of them called for some of them definitely not called for and, and puzzling and the five on threes, a lot of the, at least one of the penalties in those, each of those three, five on threes made no sense, but it still kept them from being able to come back. They weren't good at the face-off again. That also hurts your possession time. And I, before this game even started, I wrote, like I started the notes for this podcast and I wrote like first thing I was like adjustments from game one to game two. And I was going to write down what, what I noticed from adjustments from game one to game two. Guess how many I have that the Bruins made. I'm going to guess zero. I'm going to say one. I ha- well, no, it's not. It, one. I have one. Can I, can I try to guess? It, yeah. Um, um, zone entries in the power play. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was, it was just that. There was more hatred this game. Like literally that was that was like the one thing. And that's not even a good thing. That's just there was more hatred and, and Marshawn slashing the goalie and it, there and you know, obviously we see the injuries and you can see the hatred in the in the you know, the way that Svechnikov was playing was ramped up physicality. Uh, you know, he almost took out both of the Bruins' top defensemen. So I'm. You could notice that on both sides. That was the the one note that I made on adjustments, which is not really even an adjustment. It just happens when you the more you play against a certain team. Now they're five games into to their series, um, regular season and postseason against Carolina, and you know that if that's all you change, then there's you, you haven't done anything. Yeah, and I think I think in game one. Like Scott said earlier, they've come out in both games relatively strong. But in game one, I thought they played you know a pretty strong first half of the game. They still didn't get to the net hard and uh, nearly enough, and that's a lack of effort. But they were getting shots. Um, but in game, and they just didn't really have any puck luck. But in game two, you know, you go into a game that, for all intents and purposes, you know, it's as close to a must win without being a must win, in my opinion, and. Like, that's a game, I was telling Scott before we started recording, like, that's a game where you you blitz your opponent. I don't care who your opponent is. I don't care if it's the 1980s Soviets. I don't care if it's the 80s Oilers. Like, you need to implement your game plan. And, 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 and the Bruins just didn't do that. Okay, they had a couple of shots early. And then, you know, one one goal from... Uh, from the Hurricanes, uh, from from Jesper Fast, and it's just like, and and the wheels fall off, and there there was just there's just nothing. They just they just had nothing. The Bruins 
are playing nothing remotely close to the game of hockey out there. They're going through the motions. There's a couple of guys that are that are playing okay, but it's a team sport. If if if, if everybody's not going, then no one's going to look very good. And you know, five on five, this team has done nothing. Five on four, this team has done nothing. They're okay on the penalty kill if it's five on four, but they're giving up five on threes, and it's just you go up and down this lineup, and and you know where's where's Brad Marchand's impact? Where's Patrice Bergeron? He's getting he, uh, okay. I take Bergeron back. He scored two goals, but they're on. He scored two goals. I'll take I'll take that back. But he's getting he's getting beaten in, in the faceoff circle. David Pashnak is nowhere to be seen except for you know crashing into the goalie. Um, you know where's Charlie Coyle? Where's Trent Frederick? Where, where where's where's Craig Smith? I mean, up and down this lineup, that these forwards are bringing absolutely nothing. I mean, David Pasternak, with one of the softest plays you will ever see from any hockey player, that led to, I think, Carolina's second goal, just refusing to take any body contact on the wall, and the next thing you know, it's in the back of your net. Like, that's just, the Bruins are just being, they're being outworked. It's that simple. Carolina has deserved every bit of success they've had in the season series and in this playoff series so far. And of course the officiating hasn't been great for the Bruins, but that is absolutely last on the list of reasons why the Boston Bruins are where they are right now, in my opinion. I think that the, the penalties just add to the the frustration and their inability to, you know, put themselves back on track. Um, so that's more of a, I guess it's more of a, a Bruins problem, a mental problem where you, ha- you have to be able to put aside the penalties, even when you don't agree with them and not get even more frustrated and get off your game. Like Marshawn kind of came off his game a little bit because of that stuff. And back to what you were saying, Brian, about the, the face-offs, uh, Coyle only won 36% of his face-offs tonight and Bergeron only won 40%. And he only won 40% in game one as well. So, um, I mean, really only Eric Halla has been, you know, solid at the dot. Um, but their overall faceoff percentage for the series is uh, 44%, which, you know, a lot of the times you don't see that from the Bruins. So usually you look at the box score and it's like 65%, you know, Bruins winning 65% of faceoffs. And it, it it's also something that, you know, doesn't help you get back from when you're when you're trailing uh you really really need those face-off wins and they're probably like 20 percent on face-offs on the power play the carolina's winning almost every single face-off on the bruins power play just icing it down in the end and then obviously the bruins zone entry sucks i don't know yeah that that's where it's hurting most like i in the kind of like run of play five and five i tend to think face-off percentage is a bit overrated but Situationally, it's definitely important in, in special teams first and foremost. And yeah, far too many of these power plays, Bruins are having to chase it all the way down into their own end and regroup 200 feet away from the net. Uh, you know, it, it's like, okay, there goes the first 15, 20 seconds. Um, and to your point, like that's usually such a strength with, with Bergeron taking them is, you know, you, you win and you get, can get right into your set and then hopefully you don't have to worry about, you know, your problems on the entry. The Bruins did a little bit better job on entries on the power play uh, in game two, getting into the zone at least. But yeah, it's, it's obviously makes life a lot easier for the power play. If you're setting up in the zone, right, right off the opening draw. Um, You know, since we kind of have, 
touched on on officials and some of the calls. Like I think it's the third Carolina goal uh, tonight. I think it's totally fair to put that one on the refs and wonder what the hell happened there because there's a scrum at the end of the first period where Kakiniemi throws a hit on Brandon Carlo, like right at the buzzer, maybe a split second after. And then there's just like some shoving, like everyone kind of comes together and somehow the Bruins get teams get back out for the start of second, second period. The, the Bruins are already shorthanded. Somehow they've now gotten an extra penalty and they're starting to appear on a five on three, which clearly catches Bruce Cassidy by surprise because he's on the bench, like flailing his arms all over the place and yelling at the ref. So, you know, someone either didn't make it clear that there had been a penalty called or, you know, I don't know if the, the Bruins didn't do their job. Like one of the assistants should have noticed that or something like, but clearly the Bruins d- did not realize going into the locker room that they'd been called for, for a penalty there. And understandably so, because there should not have been a penalty called. Like Nesson replayed the entire scrum start to finish after the game. And there's, there's just nothing like there's no punch. There's no cross check. There's no ripping guys helmets off. It's like, it's just guys coming together, shoving each other. And yeah. there's there's a huge consistency problem with the refing. I don't know if you saw yesterday they had, uh, I think it was, I'm not sure. It probably wasn't NHL Network. It might have been ESPN that had the graphic of how each, how many penalties were in each of the four games yesterday. And they're all completely all over the place. Like, and the number of, the, of penalties in this Bruins Canes game was, you know, completely different than how how things were called in the first game. And there's just such inconsistency between, you know, j- the crews that they have out there, and it gets really frustrating. And the this game kind of had a little bit of a feeling like I don't I don't know if you guys you actually you definitely remember back in the Islanders series where it kind of just felt like all right, we're trying to get back into this this game or this series and we just keep getting just it gets piled on and it seems like one-sided um so it kind of reminded me a little bit of the feeling that the team had during the islander series um and, and once again not an excuse to end up further and further behind but that one goal that scott said absolutely does not happen um if that if there's not a five on three that ends up in a I think that the goal happened right at the tail end of it, or maybe possibly right after the five on three turned into a five on four. Um, so that was hugely frustrating. I know a lot of Bruins fans that wanted to tune out after that. But, but yeah, yeah. And what, and what I was, what I was going to say, like just to, to finish that point is yeah. Okay. So that if you want to say, you know, that bad call costs you the third goal. Well, you're already down to nothing like that. That still didn't cost you the game. the, it had already gone sideways for the Bruins before that because they just fell apart like late in the first period where uh, they can't on the first goal, they can't clear the zone. Three different guys have a chance to, to clear it where uh, I think it was Clifton fails to clear Pasternak instead of hanging around to like fight and try to get the puck out flies the zone. Like as if the Bruins already had possession and like, uh, Nope. And then Hala gets it on a stick and, like, basically just has to try to get his body in front of it and muscle the puck out. And he just kind of takes, like, a swing at it with a stick and misses, and now it stays in the zone, can't score. 
And then a couple minutes later, that same line, you know, the whole Pasenak ranta collision had happened. And I, I don't know if Pasenak thought guys were going to take a run at him, but. He, and it, yeah, he com- definitely, you could see he was, he was avoiding because somebody did take a run at him on that shift a little bit earlier than that. And he kind of just had his head up the whole, that whole shift. Yeah. So the puck comes around the board, Slavin's, Jacob Slavin's closing in on Pasternak and Pasternak clearly braces for contact to protect himself first, doesn't play the puck and Slavin to his credit just jumps right around him and takes the puck and five seconds later it's in the back of the net. Well, 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 he, he knew he was a marked man. I mean, he heard footsteps after, you know, he ran into uh, Ranta and knocked him out of the game and he was playing scared. I mean, it's as simple as that. And, um, you know, I don't have a huge issue with, you know, you, you talk about that, that five on three that led to the, the ultimate backbreaking three, nothing goal. And like, yeah, that's a game changer. But at the same time, like, the Bruins haven't earned anything. They they haven't deserved to be in these games. They haven't deserved to win these games. And so, like, yeah, it, it, it makes the, ge- the 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 comeback that much more insurmountable. But 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 they don't deserve to be in these games. They're playing like shit. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you say that you know they get down two nothing. Well, they had the first two power plays of the game. They had two power plays in the first eight minutes. So the calls were going their way in the beginning of the game. They weren't able to do anything with it, and then they end up you know, in this predicament where they don't get the lead, they don't force Carolina to play from behind, and then they find themselves in a, a three-goal hole again. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, another just, like, inexplicable play by one of the Bruins' top players, uh, after they cut it to 3-1, to one, there's the big hit on Lindholm by Svechnikov, which I, I know we're going to get into, Um 41 seconds later, Marchand, for some reason, decides to get into it with Carolina's goalie, Piotr Kachikov, and gets into, like, a slashing war with him. And Marchand actually kind of, I think he actually started it. He gave, like, uh, Kachikov, like, a little slash in the pass, and then Kachikov kind of went back at him. And Marchand looked like he was going to wind up. Didn't. And he stopped himself. And he did it. Kachekov gives him like a little jab, and then Marshman actually does slash him. And it's like they they get matching, so it didn't put the Bruins down a man. They needed a power play. Well, and also you need Brad Marshman on the ice. You're down by two goals late in the second period, trying to save your season. Like we've seen this before from Marshman, and like in the regular season, it's one thing, but this is this is game two of the playoffs, and your season's on the line. You can't be doing stupid stuff like that and put yourself in the box. And by the way, Carolina scores like a minute later while Martian's sitting in the box. It's like, I don't know what on earth he hoped to accomplish with that sequence. I mean, Martian, Martian has been not even a shell of himself the last month plus. And I think that, you know, obviously he's frustrated that's not that's not how you know you're gonna get out of any sort of slump and you know I don't know if the guy's hurt or whatnot but he has just he has just simply not been Brad Marchand um, at all not even close to it um, but obviously special teams plays a huge role in the outcome of games especially in the playoffs but the majority of the game although you never know with these officials these days but the majority of hockey games are played at even strength and so for me you know. I need to talk about the even strength play before the special teams play because that's that's where Carolina dictates the play. And 
This was my concern going into the series. It's my concern, honestly, if when I consider if the Bruins can go on a true deep run. What they, their personnel in their bottom six, and and Bridget, I know last episode you, you think that they do generate enough offense throughout the lineup. I I really don't think they do. Well, they they had they had been. They really but not but, definitely not in not not in the but, playoffs. So far. But they really don't though because I was just looking up when one of you guys was talking a few minutes ago and. Their their bottom six: Coyle, Smith, um, Frederick, Nosek, Lazar, and Felino. All season combined for fifty three goals. Okay, you divide that by six players. That's that's you know just under nine goals per player throughout the season in your bottom six. Okay, that is not nearly enough offensive generation from from a bottom six lineup. And and look, you can say that fourth line shouldn't produce that much. Third lines should. And well, the third you, line, yeah, the third line since the, it became reconstituted with Smith um, and Coyle and Frederick had been had a stretch where they were producing the yeah, way that you would need a couple to, games. To it, it, yeah, it was a couple weeks. A, a stretch. It was and a couple they, weeks. But they would they finished the season really slow. I think uh, Coyle and Smith, the two of them, went at least the last ten plus games without a goal, and Frederick had a couple in there, but that line had really cooled down the stretch and you needed them to get back. You know, like Bridget said, they had that hot stretch together. You needed them to get back to that for the playoffs. And so far they definitely have not. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that point about Marshawn being cold, he has one goal in the last 15 games. So Brian's right about that. Like the Marshawn has the fact that he's faded away at the completely wrong time of year. Now don't now don't get me wrong. Like your leaders are supposed to lead, right? Like Marshan, to me, like when when it comes to a lack of offensive production, I first look at Marshan and Pashnak and Bergeron and Hall and Hollow. Like th- those are your top six. They should be leading the way. But the thing about playoff hockey is that's not how it, that's not how it goes. You need everybody. And and my fear was when the Bruins' top guys get neutralized, which happens a lot in playoff hockey. I just didn't. I don't. I, I didn't. I don't believe in their bottom six. I really don't. And you know, Craig Smith, he has 16 goals this year. I'm willing to bet those 16 goals came in a stretch of probably 12 games. You know, like out of 82. Like it's not. It's way too streaky. And Coyle, Smith, and and, and Frederick, they had a cut. They had a hot couple of weeks over the course of a seven month season. That's not. That's not. That's not. That's not persistence. That that that's not. That's not a Michael Ryder. You know, Rich Peverly, Chris Kelly, like you can count on them game in, game out to be a scoring threat. Like, and that's that's the kind of depth that you need when you want to go on a deep run. So for me, and and this has come to fruition when you see the Bruins own the first thirty minutes of game one, right? And they can't they can't put a puck past the goal because they don't have the personnel to finish. And then the puck goes the other way. Carolina gets their first chance in a little bit, and the puck goes in because. That's what good teams do. They're opportunistic. The Bruins aren't opportunistic. They need to, the Bruins need fifty-five shots on net to, to to squeeze in one or two goals on a good night. That's just, yeah. their personnel's not there for me. Yeah, I mean, bigger picture, there's a serious problem with lack of finishing talent. Like we're now going on two years. Last year they ranked 29th out of 32 teams in five on five shooting percentage. This year they ranked 31st. Like shooting percentage is one of those things that you know, tends to like normalize somewhat. But when you're now talking about a two year stretch of it being that bad, uh, it's, it's a bigger problem. It's, it's that you don't have the talent. Like that's, that's not, 
that's not two years worth of bad luck. That's a, it's a product of talent and not working hard enough to get greasy goals. Like those two things, you know, they settle for too many shots from the outside without bodies in front and they don't have the deadly shooters to be able to score off of, off of some of those. Like, it, you know, the, if you're a team that maybe isn't fighting to get to the middle, but you have snipers who can score from just outside the, the dot, then maybe you can live that way. But like outside of Pasternak and, and maybe Marshand, who, you know, obviously is cold right now, but tends to be a pretty high percentage shooter. Outside of them, like you're you're a lineup full of volume shooters and, and guys who just don't pick corners. Like it's it's definitely a problem. Well, that leads into one of our questions that we wanted to get to, and that's uh do you reunite the Marshawn Bergeron Pasenak line? We saw a little bit in game two. I already know what you guys have told me before the podcast, what you guys think about that, but uh that's a now that's up for debate. Yeah, I, I absolutely would just because of what I saw at the end of game two, which um, so they ended up, they ended up playing basically four minutes together at five on five. And it was all in the third period. And in those four minutes, the Bruins outshot the Hurricanes seven to two and outscored them two nothing. Both goals that the Bruins scored came at that line on the ice, both scored by Bergeron. Um, But yeah, so that's the most offense you've been able to get from, from any line. You know, the, the second line hall hall of was probably, I would say it was definitely their best line in game one. And they were the ones who scored the goal in game one, but that line wasn't good in game two. They were out there for two goals against they, they were bad in their own zone. Um, so yeah, like you've got to change something you're down to nothing. And that's something that, you know, now maybe it's just because they're playing so desperate, but you got to drill into them, like carry that over, play that desperate from the start. Like this, this should be a desperate team. And then, you know, how do they score those two goals? Just by throwing pucks to the net. Like they weren't, you know, when you think of Marshan Berger and Pasenak at their best, you think of, you know, pretty tic-tac-toe passing plays or whatever. Like that's not how they scored. They scored by just getting pucks to the net. And you know, one you know, went off Bergeron's leg. Uh, it, it went off. It was a little higher than his leg. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, well, no, the, so second, the, the second one the, did go off his skate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, second, the, the second one went off his skate. The second one. Okay. Not okay. Yeah, the, the the first one also hit Bergeron just in a different, slightly yeah. different area area of the body, and uh, yeah, th- and then he scored anyways. Credit to him for battling through that. Yeah. Yeah. Scott's all flustered now. I was gonna make it bad, but uh, no. But so like those were greasy goals. Like that—that's yeah. what you need more of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd put them together, and then I don't know what you do from there. You know, is it as simple as just DeBrusque drops to the second line? That I mean, that could work. Like Hall and DeBrusque on opposite wings. There's there's speed there that yeah. that you know you still have a very fast line if you're doing that. So. Maybe it's that, and then I don't know what you're doing on the third line. Trent Frederick got benched. We, had, you know, we haven't really gotten into this yet, but another a stupid penalty from Trent Frederick. He sucks. Um, Frederick sucks. Yeah. Again, like he like really I said, does. the Martian thing. It's you're 
you're losing, you're trying to come back to save your season. And he just like cross checks the guy in the back in the neutral zone away. It's like, what are you doing? Uh, and rightly gets benched after that. Finally gets some shifts in the third period, but I think he only ended up playing six minutes in this game. So yeah, Frederick only played six minutes. Yeah. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's out of the lineup, but I don't really know, like, you know, who you move up in his plate. The, the, you know, the problem is, is you really only have eight top nine forwards, if we're being honest. Like, Frederick's had some decent stretches and fit in on that line well, but to me, he's still – he's a fourth liner at best. Like, he's not – he really shouldn't be on a third line on a championship contender. Um, not even close. So, I don't – I mean, do you move Felino up? He said – He's done a few good things in, in the series and, and in recent weeks. But definitely does not add to the third line's ability to score. No. I mean, again, this just comes back to – and I to your question, Bridget, I, I think you do put that top line back together. I think that, you know, I think – I think Jake DeBrusque hasn't done anything wrong on that line. I just don't think I don't he he's not capable of setting up Marshan and Berger on the way that Pashnak is. And and it's not a coincidence that, you know, Marshan has gone through what seems like a, you know, a career long slump maybe since his first couple of years. Um and and, and there's no Pashnak there to help get him get him out of it at 5 on 5 and then when it, and, and and you know it could have something to do with their lack of continuity on the power play too they're not playing at 5 on 5 they hop out in the power play for the first time you know and it's just they just don't have that right now and and you know so i, I and like Scott said DeBrusque has the speed to keep up with Hall and and Taylor Hall so i do think you try that um but Trent Frederick isn't a third liner. He's not even a fourth liner on a championship. You think Trent Frederick is cracking Tampa Bay Lightning's lineup? Not even close. No. Is he cracking the Colorado Avalanche lineup? No. He's not even cracking the Carolina Hurricanes lineup. Okay. Now, their their personnel is so shitty, quite honestly, that their forward group right now is healthy. There's not one person out of the lineup at the forward position, and you have Thomas Nosek on the ice as an extra attacker at the end of the game. The fuck is that all about? No, I understand. That was absolutely baffling. I understand. I, I could not believe only, that. He was one of the only players who could win a faceoff. He so that's the sucks. Only thing I- Thomas Nosek should not be on the ice. He shouldn't even be in the arena when your team is about to go down 0-2 in a playoff series and you're down two goals. He, and I understand it was a long shit before that. They had a power play. They pulled the goalie, so there was a six on four. I get it. He should never be on the ice. He sucks. A lot of times they go towards the end of the game with two two centers uh, because of the faceoff thing, and, yeah. and Nosek had one seventy percent of his faceoff, so he clearly was I, that. Ha, that has to be that's the only explanation I have as to why he would have been on no. the ice. You're right. No, you're yeah. right, Bridge. That's exactly why. And and Charlie Coyle can't do the job at, at the dot, otherwise he'd be on the ice. It's 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 an absolute shit show. They're getting totally outworked in the faceoff circles because faceoffs aren't one v one. It's the center versus center and the wingers versus the wingers and the D the, the Bruins just aren't they're not winning the battles for loose pucks. Like up and down the ice, they're getting outworked. There's zero four checks. Scott, I don't know if you have any like fancy fancy website in front of you. I am very curious about what the time of possession was in this game, uh, in the offensive zone. The Bruins, I think, in the third period, like the last six minutes of the game, there was like a couple shifts where they had some 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 sustained pressure. And I was like, I was like, oh wait, I forgot the Bruins can like maybe sometimes play in the other team's zone for more than ten seconds. Like it's been it's been the entire season against Carolina in 
it's extended at the playoffs. The Bruins are one and done. They might get the puck in. They might not. If they do get the puck in, it's right back out. And there's just no possession. There's no high-low game. There's no going to the net. They're not working hard enough. And that's why the Bruins deserve to be exactly where they are. You mentioned it earlier, Scott. Like, just because their personnel isn't dynamic, like, okay, so if you know that you don't have the Colorado Avalanche's forward lineup, then why are you playing like you do? Like, why are you looking for a perfect, pretty pass? You don't have the personnel to do it. What's the line that Herb Brooks says in Miracle? Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. The Bruins need to be, they they need to have a lunch pail, like, you know, approach. Like, go to the net, get in the corners, like, forecheck, get two on the puck. Like, figure it the fuck out because you're not working hard enough. Like, it's it's so obvious. And the lack of adjustments from game to game, it's like, well, clearly you're looking at the film. You're seeing you're not being successful, so let's change things up. And it, I don't know if the coaching staff is changing things up and they're just not executing the players, I mean. I don't know what the disconnect is, but the Bruins weren't playing anything remotely close to the game of hockey until the last seven minutes of the game. Just flat out, they were chasing everything. Everything. Yeah, and and if, you, if you end up having to put Pasternak back on the first line, Uh, in order to get your offense going. The Bruins are in a position now where the Canes have kind of forced their hand. So now you end up, you know, potentially weakening that second line to a point where now they become less of a factor and you focus your your, uh, matchups on trying to negate that Marshawn Berger and Postnog line. It makes it easier for the rest of your um, matchups to defend against the second line, third line, and so on. Uh, so the, the Hurricanes really kind of have forced their hand so far in the series. Um, and I am, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I'm not sure they start with the Marshawn Bergeron pasta top line. I think that they might go a period and, or maybe even less than that, like seven or eight minutes trying out, you know, the original plan, uh, going into the series and then, you know, have a, the idea of quickly, um, switching it up if it's obvious that the energy isn't there, the, the finishing isn't there. Um, so it's a change that maybe they don't do off the bat, but they do quickly into the game uh, if it appears that that's the only way that they can um, get things going. One comment, and I want, real quick, I want to throw it to you, Scott, because I want to get this point out before you take it over because you can probably expand on this. But one one thing that the Bruins will have going into game three that might make them stick with the current forward lineup is that they do get last change so that they might be able to get Bergeron away from the stall line and maybe that might um, make them second guess switching those top two lines but that's the only thing I could that's the only reason I could think of that they wouldn't change the top two lines I think that's all the more reason just to start the game with Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak because you can dictate tape matchups because in Carolina if you go to that uh, Brendan Moore definitely wants to get the stall line against that line. Um, you can keep them away at, at the garden. So I would start the game like that. Cause I, th- I think your offense needs it. I think that's yes. It weakens the other line. You know, we know the, the pros and cons of loading up versus separating them, but having, you know, having a more balanced lineup hasn't gotten you anything in this series or against Carolina all season. So um, I'm loading up and at least trying to get my offense from that line and then hope everyone else can can play their matchups to a draw. Like that's, to me, that's, 
the best formula, and that's absolutely how I would start game three. We have like two more major subjects to get to after game two before we um, go to bed, hopefully. Um, it's late. Mm, I, will, um, I will be writing for... I will probably be up till at least three in the morning because I can't sleep. But, oh, and also I'm recording from the studio right now, so that means I have an hour drive home, so that's great. But at least there's no dog barking in the background um, <laughs> or cat looking straight into the Zoom camera. Uh, but so... Now, if, if you hear any... Barking this time, it's Jokastiglia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're gonna say it's Archie. Okay. That's God's dog is Archie, but he's too well behaved apparently. Ar- by the way, Archie's prediction not looking great. No, I, I had I had did the you know lay down two treats and yep. had my dog uh, try to pick the series winner, and he went straight for the Bruins. He was really confident, but uh, <laughs> now he might be regretting that. <laughs> Yep. So so the two last like major subjects to get to before we go to bed are um, the huge loss of Lindholm and what to do in net for the Bruins in game three. And even what, what Carolina is looking at in game three, seeing as Ranta got hurt and Anderson's already hurt. So let's just start um, with the defense. They're going to have – it more than likely seems like Lindholm uh, is – probably out for the series um, coach or no one's confirmed that, but just based on the injury and based on Cassidy's um, comments after the game, he said he's not doing well, which obviously that means it's going to be a longer term thing uh, than just, you know, a game or two kind of seems like m- more like a series, um, maybe even longer. So Man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not jumping that like concussions are just so hard to predict. Like we've, We've seen this before where we thought guys were going to be out a long time and they, you know, like when you saw Trent Frederick get what looked like his third of the year and he had already missed a month, I thought that was going to be long-term and he missed one game. So that's a good point that concussions are all different. It just, this one seemed worse than the Frederick one to me. And also he was, he had, you know, the, the, the classic telltale sign that you have a concussion, you get up and you fall back down. Um, you don't make your way to the bench on your own will. De, DeBrusque and Bergeron both had to help him off the ice. You needed guys on both sides and the trainer. So um, I am not optimistic about him coming back before the end of the series. If he does, maybe game seven. I'm not optimistic about it at all. And that means that you lose a top pair defenseman and now you're now you need a defensive shuffle as well. Yeah, well, the I mean, the fact that Lindholm probably left the ice thinking he was back in Anaheim probably tells me he's going to be out for a little bit. That was a he was in La La Land. I mean, it was scary on the replay. All Marco was, was the first person on the scene to help him up, and um, it was like that scene in the Muddy Ducks when the guy goes through the glass and just stands up and falls right back down, just like no clue where he was. And you know, it was an unfortunate injury because um, you know it was a clean hit. I mean, you know. There may have been a little bit of contact with the chin area, but you know, I'm, I'm not gonna. I can't be. A, I can't be a, a biased fan. I mean, that was a clean hit. Oh, Some, that's your whole. That that's <laughs> your whole thing. I'm. I try. I try to call it the way I see it, but um, sometimes, sometimes you know, a follow through can come up high, even if it's a clean hit, and that's what I think and, happened. And at full, at full speed, like the. It's like a centimeter difference. It doesn't necessarily mean the intent was yeah. there either. No, no, it, th- that was a clean hit. It was a clean hit. But the thing is, like, because of the offensive lack of offensive personnel the Bruins have this year, and with their forward group, um, 
that's why the the acquisition of Hampus Lindholm was so important because, okay, if we can't add a top six forward or whatever, the next best thing is to grab a defenseman that could help us in transition. And so now you're looking at a decor of, of Lindholm and McAvoy and Grizzlick, three guys that can certainly drive drive offense from the, from the, from the D zone. And that's where the Bruins have also struggled at 5-on-5 five five, has been in transition. They're getting hemmed in and on, on Carolina's forecheck. Matt Grizzlick, surprise, surprise, just isn't – he's a talented kid, but he's just not built for playoff hockey. Uh, he, he's one of the least noticeable players on the ice well, today. He's, but, he's, but, and, but when he is noticeable, and I'm not trying to shit on him, I'm just – it's what I'm seeing. He's just he, – he, and this, you know, the first – he never really seemed – he always seemed to rise to the occasion of playoffs. That Oscar Sundquist hit in the finals back in 19 has – has he hasn't been the same since in the playoffs. And last year against the Islanders, he had a putrid game in game six. Um, he had a he, – you know, he had a – he had a uh, – he didn't execute properly on the pinch in game one. And he hears footsteps. And so he's not effective in transition. McAvoy is doing all he can, but you can only do so much. Lin, now you lose Lindholm. You know, obviously Mike Riley is going to step in in that top four now, so at least you're getting a puck mover defenseman back, and hopefully he can get some shots through. Um, but it's a huge loss, and you know, Lindholm hasn't really been that great in the series before that. I mean, they were getting they were getting pumped anyway, but um, it's not looking good. And so I think you're looking at McAvoy, Grizzlick, and Carly, uh, yeah, Carly, Carlo, and Riley. Um, I'm going to call that's that their that's their couple yeah, name. Well, that, that, that's that's their D pair nickname now is Carly. Um, Carlo and Riley are going to be together, and then um, you know Riley and uh, um, uh, what's his name, Clifton and Forbert. So it's a huge loss, big loss. Yeah, for sure. Um, I thought, I mean, Grizzly had the brutal turnover in Game One. I thought he was fine for the most part in Game Two. Like they said, like not super noticeable, but I would at least say both ways in that respect. Like, Again. I didn't think he did anything awful, and he he loses he loses too many one on one battles uh, in his own zone, Scott, beneath the goal line. It's not they they aren't they aren't plays that like are glaringly obvious, like he's fucking up. But it's just he's he's just get he's he's losing those one on one battles. Yeah, and it, it kind of like goes to a lot of. I mean, I was working the Red Sox game and watching the Bruins game and checking Twitter and doing all this stuff tonight. And something I kept seeing scrolling through Twitter um, as reaction during the game and after the game is just that the Bruins are soft. That's been a criticism of them in this series. And Grizzly has been somebody who's been getting pushed around a little bit. And it's, I mean, it's one thing where, you know, people have been saying it for a while, but now it kind of seems like that's, as that's a fair that's a fair judgment because they're getting they're getting pushed around in areas where you know they they need to take the space like in front of the net they they haven't been able to clear guys out out from in front of their own net traffic has been awful um all mark has had you know a hard time seeing past uh the players that have been out in front of them and that's something that if you're not you know if you're not being soft or if, if you're playing more of a big bad Bruins style, you're not having those issues out in front of your own net. So it's a fair criticism. Sorry, yeah, I mean, sorry, Scott. so, so Grizzly, Grizzly was on the ice for the, for the Aho goal, which is the, the tip in front. So yeah, like him, him and McAvoy should have been doing a better job to, to clean that up. But I also think like the issue, part of the issue that's happening because 
what Carolina does once they start cycling and get ozone possession is they just send like two or three bodies to the net and it's not like they don't just go and stand there. They'll, you know, move in and out, but there's like two or three bodies constantly moving through the front of the net area. And you're not going to be able to like effectively stop that other than just like cross-checking guys as they come through, in which case you're going on the penalty kill. Like part of the problem there is that the way you really need to shut it down is the shot out high. Like you need to be on the guy and not let that shot get into there in the first place. And the the goal tonight, Holla is out on the defenseman and he just doesn't take the right angle to get in the shooting lane. And the guy shoots it right around him and, and into Aho's stick for the tip. Uh, in game one, the, the Nita Rider one where he circles out high, there's just, I forget who the defenseman was, but it, there's like a mix-up in terms of handing off the coverage where the D like peeled off and thought Lazar was there to pick him up. And Lazar stayed at like the center point and didn't come over. And Nita Rider ends up with with an open shot because no one's on him. Like, so to me, you know, some of that stuff about like clearing out the front and getting those guys out of there. The other part of it is you've got to be out on the guy at the point who has the puck and get a stick on him, not let that shot get off. And that to me, like that's almost an even bigger failing of of the Bruins on the, on these goals, these deflection goals that the Hurricanes have had. And, and that's, you know, that's where, like, it's not just on the defenseman, it's on the forwards. And, yeah, that's absolutely been part of it. And that was one of the things that the Hurricanes did well the whole season against the Bruins in the regular season. And they had kind of like, you know, the, the book is out on the fact that the Bruins don't close out at the point. Uh, and put enough pressure on them when they're trying to take those point shots, and then that leads to the redirections and and whatnot. But, but why? But why is it that Carolina can get those shots through and the Bruins can't? And now I'm switching to the other oh, end of the ice. Yeah, but like, no, that's a- why? Why is it that Tony D'Angelo can can straddle up, up and down the blue line and, and get his shot through, but Matt Grizzly can't, and Charlie McAvoy can't? Like the and granted, like I said earlier, the Bruins virtually have had rarely any extended zone time in this series. But they get no shots through from the point, and if they do, they're muffins with no traffic. It's just like, look, how many of Carolina has ten goals in the series? I think eight are goals on an actual goalie, and they're all they're all hard hard nosed goals, just getting getting the pucks to the net, get going up, getting tips, getting traffic, getting rebounds. Like they're not getting any of these pretty plays at all. And the, like here here the Bruins are constantly down in the season series, constantly down in the playoff series, and. They're they're just not playing simple, and they're not getting pucks in that, and they're not getting bodies in that. And I'm hate to be like you know a cliche men's league beer league player saying these things, because that's what everybody says. But it's like it's it's because it's true. And I, like the Bruins for for a couple of years now, just their D cannot get shots through to the net. It just and, and there's way too much talent for that to be the case. McAvoy, Grizzlick, there's no excuse not to you know, move left to right, a foot here, just change, change the shooting lane and get, get, get a, get a quick wrister through. It's, it's unacceptable. Like every, every aspect of the game, the Bruins are just not executing well at all. Like, and it's that simple. That's why they're down in the series. And, and Bridget, I know the second thing you want to talk about was the goaltending. So I'll throw it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a transition. Uh, 
the fact that the Bruins only had one goal in the first game and two goals in the second game, despite the fact that Freddie Anderson hasn't played at all in this series. Um, and they, so they end up game one Ranta in net who he did a, he did a great job. And then game two, you only have him in the game for what was it like eight minutes before, uh, Oh my God, I'm going to butcher this name again. Anyway, uh, before their backup, Kachekov before the, you know, the backups backup comes in. Um, and you once again, don't test him. So, you know, goaltending has, it's already shifted. Um, I, I heard Andrew Raycroft in the second intermission, um, and you can talk, actually, you're not having Sunday skate this week, but usually he's on Sunday skate. Yes, we are. Special oh, 9 a.m. time. A special 9 a.m. edition. You can hear Andrew Raycroft and Scott McLaughlin on Sunday skate in the morning. Um, but so you'll have to ask him about this then as well. But the decision to not put Jeremy Swayman in to start the third period, he thought that that was the move to just kind of get Swayman, um, you know, into the series uh, when it seems like he's probably the guy they're going to go with in game three. So just get him a little bit of time, 20 minutes in the third period um, of game two. And I also agreed with Raycroft that it should have been, I think Swayman would have been the move um, to start the third period. Uh, You guys can respond to that and also um, talk about who you think should be in that game three. So I, I think I would have, done the same thing as Razor. Like, I, I understand that thinking. But there is also a flip side of that where um, even if you are thinking of going and swimming game three, and I'll just say right now that I I am, like, I don't, they haven't lost these two games because of Linus Elmark, but I also don't think he's been good enough. And I, he, I've said this before, I'll, you know, say it till I'm blue in the face. Like, it, at any point in NHL season, but especially in the playoffs, your goalie doesn't just have to make the saves he's supposed to. You need him to make saves he's not supposed to. You need him to to rob goals. And I don't think Allmark's done that. And I, I think there's – I think some of these goals have been stoppable. I'm not saying like uh, – the one that banked in off his helmet, that was soft. That should never go in. The rest, like, I don't think they're soft goals, but a couple of them are he's, – he's had a chance on, and you – you would like to see a save there. Like you'd like to see some momentum shift um, from your goalie. And, and I don't think the Bruins have gotten that. So I would go with Swayman. The, what I would say as far as putting him in, in game two, the flip side of why you might not do that is what if the Bruins come on the third and just totally shit the bed and it turns into five, one, six, one, and like you know, the team rolls over in front of Swayman. Yeah, but that's and, on- and now and now he's now you've like killed his confidence going into Game Three. So but that's on them in that case. Like that's on that's on no, them. but but I'm saying the effect it would have on Swayman if that happens is like okay, like uh, great, I got into a playoff game and I gave up three goals and ten shots. Like that's that's not going to help him get into the series. That's just if anything, it's going to hurt his confidence. And, well, and furthermore, like. I wouldn't have put him in today because, you know, like Scott said, if the Bruins shit the bed or whatever, like, I don't want Carolina to to get a look at him when they're feeling good at home. Like, let it be something fresh for them to deal with in Boston. Like, like just don't, like, because if Carolina's buzzing in the third and they get a couple in on Swayman, well, now they go back to Boston, it's like, well, we put a couple in on him last game, so whatever. 
Like, at least it gives them a different look in Game 3, something to think about. Now, I don't think Carolina's going to change their approach. It's not that big of a deal. But um, for Game 3, I would absolutely put Swimming in. Um, for no other reason than just to, you know, they need a jolt somehow. And, yeah. like, I don't think Olmark's been bad. But, you know, I this, the goal Scott mentioned, the Trocek goal in Game 1, didn't love that. Uh, I didn't love the the uh, Sebastian Alho goal from the right circle uh, in the third period uh, tonight. I thought I thought it was a very savable, you know, one timer. I like maybe a slight screen from McAvoy. Like it, what he wasn't even at he wasn't even at his spot. Like his his body was still in the middle of the net, and the puck went in the right yeah. the lower right side of the goal. So it's like it went over his pad. It's like where are you? Where, where's the rest of your body? So didn't like that goal. Uh, that made it what four, not three, I think. Four to one, I think. Four yeah, one. four to one. So like you know, and it, that was one of those was phantom five. Oh, no, on that, that was three nothing. Sorry, yeah, okay. that one made it three nothing. And that was one of those phantom five on threes that like shouldn't have even been happening, but it's a goal that like you're not coming back at that point now. Um, so yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, swimming in game three, and um, no issue with them sticking with Allmark in game two. Um. Get, get it get you know hopefully they can get a jolt from it they need something question on the other side do they does carolina go back to kachikov um after the performance he put up and also i, I did hear a little bit of rod brindamore talking after the game saying um that ranta was in good spirits but uh he wasn't sure if he was going to be ready for friday so yeah he, he also said it he didn't uh, get looked at by the concussion spotter, so it wasn't a concussion. Yeah, it was. It was whatever happened with that cut that I guess ended up being more serious than it looked, or, or something. But um, yeah, because that that was the only other thing that like stood out in that play. So I don't, I don't know. Like, I, who who knows? Um, yeah. So it, who knows if that was just a like a one day, you know decision just to keep him out of the game and then maybe they wanted to look at Kachikov anyway um so it remains to be seen whether or not they'll have a choice um between Ranta and Kachikov for Friday's game uh game three at Boston but um I'm right now it's it's going to be easy for them to pick someone that you know that they have two guys that can go that they don't have to really worry about it either way well I gotta be honest guys like I, I don't think it matters. I, like, no, I don't I, think my, so either. My, my biggest fear tonight, tonight like, how, okay, the Bruins have been so bad in this series so far. Nothing has gone well because they haven't earned anything to go well. But with that said, it can't get any worse, right? Wrong. I was thinking to myself, how can this get worse? Oh, it can get worse because this kid can get hurt now, and then they might get an e-bug in this game, and the Bruins still won't score. I honestly... If there was an e-bug situation, the Bruins wouldn't have scored. Their offense is that anemic that the Hurricanes could put a cone in net right now, and I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like it, it, the Bruins have no. There's like there's no high danger chances. There's no odd men rushes. There's nothing. They suck offensively. So I don't think Carolina's you know fearing that that decision at all. And, and I was a little surprised actually that that Ranta left the game because like. On every single replay, like the, uh, it didn't seem that bad. Like his his mouth was cut, okay, but like no concussion spotter, like like Scott said. So you're out of the game because of a cut. 
Um, I think that maybe he may have hurt his lower body. Maybe when 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 pastas like skates hit his pads, maybe that's why he left. But yeah, I don't possibly. Know. I'm not really sure. It, I didn't understand. I was surprised, very surprised he left the game. Yeah, we're lacking a lot of information about that particular um, injury. So I, I want to get you guys out on this real quick. Um, how confident are you in your picks still? Not. <laughs> not well. Confident. I mean, so I had Bruins on seven. I would say I'm, I'm not confident about that, but it still wouldn't surprise me if, if this ends up being a long series. Like, as as bad as the Bruins have been, and it's it's been bad, I still don't feel like they're, like, super far off. Like, I don't... No, I don't think... I, I don't think they're getting, like, so badly dominated where it's like, oh, my God, I can't see any possible way that they even win a game. Like, it, it's it's not that, but obviously they've gotta finish some friggin' chances well my my prediction was bruins in six and i don't think that one's happening so that's, no that seems feel uh, great about that mine. seems significantly more unlikely yeah would remind people 2011 bruins first round draw fell behind 2-0 to the canadians with two losses on home ice and went on to win that series. I know, eleven years ago, Much rare against. Yeah, yeah. Can't yeah. count on it, but it's it's also it's also apples and oranges because because that Bruins team, yeah, they went down 2-0 twice, but I mean their team was way better than what they have now for 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 the time that that team was constructed. That team in that era was far better than this team in this era. Um, I don't the the Bruins don't to they can make it. Look, for what it's worth, I'm not confident in my prediction either. I I I I, I predicted uh, Hurricanes in in seven. I think, I think yeah. I think it's gonna be Hurricanes in four or five. Um, but I just don't. I the the Bruins personnel isn't there for me. So I don't. I, maybe they can. They can obviously game three is a must win. Um, this Hurricane team, though, to to say that the Bruins can win four of the next six against a team they've lost two already four times. Ah. Five times. Five times, and they've never they've never been within three goals by the end of the they, game. They've lost every single game by three or more. They've goals. never. They, they Bridget. They haven't even had a lead. It's no. it, it, like the so to, to to say that I think the Bruins can win four of the next six. I just think is like just totally misguided and and just you know a a, a fanboy thing to say. Yeah. So so Scott so Scott so Scott went to bed. <laughs> I think he was running to get his, his charger at the end. There. So hey, we don't have the we don't have the end of the recording, so he's no, gonna I, have to. Come no, I do, I, I do. I'm, I'm I'm recording on my end. So. Okay. But I, I think that's probably a good place to a good place to stop because <laughs> Scott just left he's, the chat. He's done. He is so done. All right. It is. It is uh, almost one in the morning. So yeah, it's twelve thirty. So you gotta get out of here. You gotta drive home. So why don't we wrap it up there and. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, sorry we, we, we bored you, Scott, but um, we'll be back for episode uh, 95 after game four.